Grace be unto you in peace, peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God we're going to study this morning is the second lesson, that letter to the church at Smyrna. If you wouldn't mind opening your bulletin to that lesson as I refer to it throughout the sermon. And perhaps some of you will find in those verses your own confirmation verse, be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Dear friends, when I preached last on September 22nd, one of the applications I made in the sermon about the reward of the righteous in the resurrection was not only that we would see and be with Jesus in person, but maybe perhaps we will see some of the people whom God used to bring us to faith in this life, and God will give us an opportunity to thank them. And then I gave some examples of people we might want to thank, our, our moms, our dads, maybe, maybe a pastor or teacher. And perhaps you didn't notice when I spoke those words at that time, it was rather emotional for me, because I spoke those words, my dad was lying on his deathbed. And I was wondering whether or not I would have an opportunity before my dad died to thank him for bringing me to Jesus through baptism. Or would it have to wait till heaven? Well, it didn't have to wait till heaven. That very afternoon, I got to go home to my hometown and, and spend some time with my mom and dad. And at that time, my dad was lying in the hospital bed in the living room. For the most part, he was not conscious. He was in and out of sleep. At that time, he wasn't saying anything. But then he roused for a few moments. And I quickly grabbed the chair, and I sat next to that hospital bed. And I asked, I said, Dad, do you know who this is? And he looked at me and said, Oh, hi, Bruce. And then I said, Dad, I don't know if I ever thanked you before. But I want to thank you now. I want to thank you for bringing me and my brothers to Jesus. For when you brought us to Jesus through baptism, Dad, you made us eternally rich. So, Dad, thank you. And you know what he said to me? And if you knew my dad, you would appreciate this. He just looked at me and he said, You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah. You know, sometimes we think we have to wait to get to heaven to have and experience the riches of salvation. But that isn't true. You see, the moment that God brought you to faith, and, and for many of you it might be like it was for me, it was at my baptism. At your baptism, when God brought you to faith, He made you eternally rich. And that's the thought we want to consider this morning based on that letter to the church at Smyrna from the second chapter of the book of Revelation. Because if you were to really summarize that entire letter, what Jesus was saying to his people in Smyrna through the apostle John was this, even though you are poor, you are eternally rich. And what, that, what made them rich back then 
is the same thing that makes us eternally rich today. And three things stand out for me in this letter. What makes us eternally rich is the cross of Calvary, the comfort of God's holy word, and the crown of eternal life. The cross, the comfort, the crown. The ancient city of Smyrna at that time was a very, very wealthy seaport city. It was considered a first-class city, maybe something like New York. And yet the congregation in Smyrna was poor. And, and, and we kind of have an idea of why. Because of their allegiance to the Lord, there were many things that were taken away from them. Perhaps their freedom, that was going to come, imprisonment. Their positions of power, may, maybe their possessions, maybe, maybe even their own families. And yet to this congregation of people who perhaps lost everything for Jesus' sake, Christ said, you are rich. John wrote, these are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So what made this congregation rich? It was the eternal blessings of salvation that Jesus won for them on the cross. That's a good reminder to us of what makes us truly rich in God's eyes. It isn't the amount of cash that we can collect in this life. What makes you and me eternally rich are the eternal blessings of salvation that Jesus won for us on Calvary's cross. And what that then means for us is this. Even though we may never wear fur coats and expensive diamonds and jewelry, Jesus won for us on the cross the robe of righteousness that we wear by faith in him. And then when we take a look at our bank's accounts or our portfolios, there may not be millions there, and we know how quickly those things can be taken away. Yet, on the cross, God credited to us the payment that Jesus made for our forgiveness. And even though in life we may never get out of debt from our loans, our mortgages, or whatever it might be, isn't it great that God canceled our debt of sin on the cross? You and I are completely forgiven. There is nothing that is more valuable than that. That's what makes us rich. And only at the foot of the cross can you and I truly appreciate this amazing truth that you know by heart. Even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, what makes you rich already is the cross of Calvary. How rich the Christians at Smyrna were in the things that really mattered is in the fact that in this letter, unlike the others that Jesus sent, there was no rebuke to them. 
But that doesn't mean that their walk with Jesus in life was an easy stroll in the garden. You see, they were suffering, and they would be suffering many things in the days and the years to come. I think someone's pushing buttons back there. There we go. Amber, he's reaching right over your shoulder. Didn't you catch that? I did. Don't let it bother you. It doesn't bother me. They were going to go through another time of suffering. Jesus said, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Although the church at Smyrna was blessed by God's hands, they were suffering at the hands of others. The devil was doing his dirty work in Smyrna, and he was using religious people to do it. The Jews who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they were bringing trouble to the Christians by slandering them. And as you study the New Testament, it's rather obvious that what they were doing is they were accusing Christians of being traitors to the Roman Empire because they would not burn incense to honor Caesar as a god. And as a result, they often suffered persecution. Well, God told them that persecution was coming, a, a difficult one, where many of them would be put in prison and perhaps be tested to the point of death. But this letter also contained comfort for them. God said, don't be afraid of this. Why? Because God knew what they were going through, and God also had set a limit on it. Ten days. Now, that, was that exactly ten days? Or was it just a symbolic number that don't be afraid, it won't last forever? Whatever it was, those Christians were rich in the comfort that God's word brought to them for difficult days. God's word offers us rich comfort too in the hour of suffering. This letter reminds us that the Lord knows where you are. The Lord knows what's going on in your life. And there may be times in his infinite wisdom when God will allow you to go through difficulties. Maybe even suffering for his name's sake. And I don't know what difficulties you have gone through in your past. I don't know what difficulties God has planned for us for the future. But we have rich comfort from God's word too. And that makes us rich. God does not necessarily tell us what's going to happen in the future. But he has given us many promises to sustain us through those difficult days. You know many of those promises. For example, he told his Christians at Corinth he would not let them be tested or tempted beyond what they would be able to bear. And in every temptation, he would provide a way out. God also said that in days of weakness, his grace would be sufficient for us. 
God has promised that no one and no thing can ever pluck us out of, our hand, out of his hands, even when days of temptation and testing come. What's important for us to know is the main point of the gospel lesson. The main point of the gospel lesson isn't necessarily about people who are rich and people who are poor. The main point of the gospel lesson is this, that as long as you listen to Moses and the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists, as long as you have God's word, you need everything that you need, you have everything that you need for this life, and yes, even in the hour of death. And so how important it is for us to hold on to God's word, because through God's word... We are rich. And the greatest blessing of all is the promise that God gives to us in his word that by faith in him, you and I will have the crown of life. He wrote to the congregation, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And the second death refers to to hell. Now what does it mean to be faithful? We often think it's all about us and how faithful we are to the Lord. Yes, that's part of it. But really the word faithful means to be full of faith. In other words, faith is taking Jesus at his word that what he says is true and what he promises he will keep. Words like, I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then when we know that God keeps his word, especially the promise of salvation, then we live our life following him in the conviction that when that hour of death comes, our great comfort, our great treasure is knowing that we have eternal life awaiting us in heaven. Please permit me some more personal comments about my dad. You see, I, I experienced that comfort at my dad's deathbed. You, in spite of the difficulties that he went through his life, and he was not brought up in a Christian home, in spite of the fact that he went to war when he was only 19 years old, and in spite of the fact that he wrestled with a lot of demons and weaknesses in his life, and in spite of the seven-year battle he had with lung cancer, God kept him faithful to the point of death. I know that because of the final words we shared. After thanking him for bringing us to Jesus, I said, Dad, we need to talk about some things here. And I said, Dad, do you believe that Jesus died and took away all of your sins? And my dad said, yep. And I said, then Dad, do you believe that when, when you take your last breath and you close your eyes in death, you're going to be in heaven with Jesus? Yep. And then I said, Dad, the devil doesn't like to hear this because the devil doesn't want you in heaven with Jesus. He wants you in hell with him. And so, Dad, the devil's going to try to take away your faith, yes, even in the last hour of death. So, Dad, if the devil comes to taunt you, you tell the devil to go where he belongs, hell, because you're going to go to heaven with Jesus. And you know what his final word was? Okay. When my dad took his final breath less than 24 hours after that, 
God kept him faithful. And I believe that he overcame. He received the crown of life. And the second death will not hurt him. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he died and took away all of your sins? Do you believe that when you die, you will be with Jesus in heaven? I believe that you do. And if you do, thanks and praise be to God. Because then you are eternally rich. Because you have the cross. You have the comfort. You have the crown. Amen.